Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. All right, Sarah Touch, welcome. Hi. Asking Why Podcast, episode 21. Awesome. That's so exciting. Yeah, it is. It's been crazy. It's been a good, uh, it's been a good start. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, poverty today and mm-hmm. about um, maybe some myths and some um, misconceptions that people have about poverty and people in poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the Lovewell Center here in Treeport. Talk about maybe what people can do in their areas um, to help people in poverty, to help people who are in low income from ministry perspective, but just in general as a kind of culture and a country, you bring some awareness to those in need and what we can all do to help with that. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. So tell us who you are and kind of what you do. And so my name is Sarah touch and I am the director of the love Wall center, which is one of two programs under the hub urban ministries. So, um, that is my day-to-day as far as work goes. I also uh, was born and raised in Shreveport, mm-hmm. left for like five minutes, and came back um, and am married to Luke Touch. I'm very proud of that. Yeah, shout out to Luke. Yeah, shout out to Luke. Um, and so as far as the Love Wall Center goes, um, I have been working there for let's see the love wall is going to be eight years this year which is so amazing um so i've been on staff since january of 2013 um but have been around since the beginning of the hub yeah so so you said you're a shreveport native i am right and so where where did you leave for a minute um (laughs) so i left um my freshman year of college um, I went to school um, at Baylor, oh, okay. uh, started there. And then it was one of those, like, I had to get there to realize that wasn't where I was supposed yeah. to be. Um, and uh, really, it was just like a, I knew that God had called me to work with individuals experiencing homelessness and poverty, but I didn't know what that was going to look like at all. Like, you know, at that point, the hub was just a very small formed nonprofit with Cassie and another employee. And so, like, you know, where it is now is amazing. And, but like, we just had no idea what it was going to be. Um, and so I left thinking like, well, maybe I should have a plan B like in case that doesn't work. So I went to Baylor and, and studied graphic design. Mm. Um, (laughs) and then about three fourths of the way through that semester, I called my parents and I was like, I think I need to come home. And they were like, I thought you loved it. And I was like, I was faking the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just thinking like maybe you give yourself a a time to adjust. Oh, absolutely. But it was more of just like I knew that I was trying to create the path that God had already set for me. But Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, was trying to give myself some sort of backup plan. Yeah. um, Instead of. Square peg, round hole. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So, t- yeah. so uh, for those listening, so I work at the hub as well. I'm director of recovery. Um, and I do that very part time on the, you know, kind of help talk with you and we meet and I meet with Cassie mm-hmm. and we all kind of figure this out together, but we've been friends forever. You're also a Christian counselor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you had pastoral, yeah, pastoral yeah. counselor and you were on staff with us for a while I was. Um, before you got to become big director of the Lovewell. Yes. Um, so take us back kind of what, um, what's your story when it comes to ministry and how did you get into the idea of poverty? Yeah. So, um, I was introduced really to, um, I guess, larger populations of those experiencing homelessness when I was in high school. Um, shout out to Captain Shreve. And uh, I was in this service organization called Z Club. Okay. And, um, you know, basically you just go and you serve in other parts of the city. And that's really just the foundation of the club. And so um, I had been doing a couple things here and there. And Cassie Hammett's younger sister, Abby, is the same age as I am, and we grew up together, and um, so she was like, hey, my sister's kind of doing this thing where she's going downtown and um, just hanging out with people. Do you, do you want to come? And I'm like, sure. Like, you know. Um, completely naive. Yeah, yeah, completely Like, literally just sounds cool. I'm going to get some hours and hang out with people. So, um, yeah, at that point, it literally was – Um, Cassie and her husband and just a trailer tables and chairs and just hanging out in parking lots downtown and um, you know Cassie has had her own journey into you know just being obedient to God and not even realizing that the hub was going to be a nonprofit. it was just her answering what God was asking her to do Um, and so but part of that was that there was like this influx of individuals that were homeless after Hurricane Katrina Mm. and just seeing a larger population in the downtown area. And, you know, um, so that's kind of where some of that is rooted in, um, just trying to meet a need and build relationships. And so I went and, you know, I don't know if this is odd or just, you know, the Holy Spirit, but it didn't feel weird to me like Mm -hmm. it was just like oh this is just you know part of what you do what I do yeah Yeah. and so I think it was really cool because you know I didn't even realize things like social work I didn't know what that was until honestly until I was in a freshman in college um and so just went and hung out and um just really enjoyed getting to meet people and Um, you know, it was really amazing because there was also a a group of other high school students from other schools that were, um, interning, um, for the hub. And, um, so they really became like my core group Mm. of friends and just seeing like all of us had the same heart, um, the same drive to, um, help people, but hang out with people and not feel, um, like this separation for life. You know, um, Luke and I talk all the time about moments you know, way back then, which is like 10 plus years ago, which is crazy. Um, and, and thinking like, you know, there were certain Saturdays where we didn't have, you know, an event or anything like that and going like, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, and this (laughs) is me at 17, 18 years old going like, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do. We don't have anything going on, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and obviously would still, you know, maybe go and hang out with one individual or, or something like that. But Um, so it didn't, it didn't feel like this big stretch for me. Um, and, 
again, I don't necessarily know why that is, um, mm-hmm. other than just, you know, that is the moment that God was like, yeah, this is, this is where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and so I think it was also cool because a lot of, again, the misconceptions and the myths that we'll be talking about today, um, really resonated with me in my own personal journey of, um, exploring my own self-worth and value, mm-hmm. um, especially through self-image um, and growing up, which, you know, I'm happy to elaborate on. Um, but also... Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, just this, <laughs> just this idea of perfection as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I grew up um, and uh, was born with a birth defect. And um, so that meant that um, I have a very large scar on my stomach. Um, it's really prominent, like you can't miss it. And, um, just really from an early age was having to grapple with, you know, growing up and what do people think about me? And, um, you know, just like every elementary through high school kid, you know, you're figuring out your place and, Mm -hmm. you know, what makes me unique, but not like, in a way that I feel like I'm standing out from other people. Um, and so I really had to work through that, um, along with, um, being born with, um, you know, missing fingers through my umbilical cord being wrapped around my fingers. And, and so, you know, as a girl, um, you know, and I understand guys struggle this with as well, but like as a girl, you're just growing up and you're, you're just asking yourself, you know, like what makes me special? Because I feel like these things that I have are, yeah. are odd. Well, in the whole you know? culture, right? Especially for women is so, yeah. so much more predominantly focused on looks and outward mm-hmm. appearance and you know, all the, what's attractive and what's going to get you a mate and marriage and mm-hmm. yeah, that's tough. Yeah. So, I mean, I went through periods where I was very adamant on hiding my hand and not mm. wanting other people to see it. Like I remember sitting on my hand in class or um, I remember uh, we had in middle school these things called a yearbook day. Mm-hmm. And it was like at the end of the year and you'd get to go outside and hang out and everybody would sign, sign yearbooks. Yearbook, yeah. You know, in the summer here, it's 100 plus degrees. Um, but that didn't stop me from wearing a sweatshirt mm. just so that I could cover my hand. Um, and that and just, you know, wanting to wear a one piece swimsuit because I didn't want to see my stomach, you know, all these things. And so um, as I was getting into high school, that's when I really um, kind of had to process more and understand like, you know, those things aren't things that make me um, any less worthy of, um, good relationships or of calling myself beautiful or any of those things. And so I do believe that there is a sense of like, I may not understand your situation when it comes to homelessness, Mm -hmm. but I do understand what it's like to feel different, um, and just want to blend in or just feel normal, um, and not feel a sense of like isolation through your your circumstances. Um, and so I think those are some of the, the feelings like, you know, for me, if someone feels lonely, like that's my, that's like my breaking yeah. point where I'm like, <laughs> I can't handle that, yeah. you know? Um, and or isolated. Yeah. Or, or isolated. Yeah, outcast. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, and so I think those were a lot of the things that I was wrestling with along with, um, 
you know, beginning to take my faith for myself. Um, you know, I did grow up in a Christian household and um, had this really cool opportunity to see my parents really take their relationship with Jesus for themselves um, and explore what it meant to follow the Holy Spirit and to listen to Him. And um, and so when I um, was entering into high school and kind of you know, seeing now, oh, there's this other group of kids that like their faith is super important to them as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and just feeling the freedom to really explore that. Yeah. Um, and, and claim that as my own at that point too. Um, so those, all those things kind of culminated in this desire for me to like help, you know, help people, but in a way that meant more of like, we have a friendship and a bond and then there's support that comes through that and figuring it out together. Yeah. How did your, how did your parents handle, um, your hand situation and your scar when it came to like kind of words of affirmation or support mm -hmm. or did, yeah. did that play a positive role? Was that difficult? Was it just not addressed? No, it was definitely addressed. It was, um, very much always positive affirmations. Like there was empathy and understanding, you know, like that is hard to mm -hmm. have to go through that. Um, but they were also very, um, supportive and challenged me to still put myself out there, even when I felt my own inadequacies. So, you know, I did grow up, um, doing dance and cheerleading and soccer and and so I didn't ever feel um a sense of like I had to hide myself fully mm -hmm. um but I think too it was more of just like you know I would rather someone just be like hey you know what's up with your hand or you know <laughs> than like see their eyes yep. gaze and like that's for me where I go like oh I would rather them just acknowledge it mm -hmm. then like feel now I feel this awkward like I know that you know yeah. but you're not saying anything what an incredible tie-in to like somebody on the side of the road with a sign yeah and you know one of the things I talk about all the time with with my kids and then just people is like and I know we'll get into this but it's like the best like the least thing you can do is roll the window down and say hey man I'm praying for you the love wells down there we know right. here's a card you know, here's a thing we can do mm -hmm. and just acknowledging that, you know, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. the worst thing you, you can do is see them. They know that you see them and then just ignore them as a human being. Mm -hmm. So that's such a cool tie in. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you thought of that before, but it just yeah, hits me. Actually I hadn't. So uh, that, yeah. that is, that is a really cool tie in. Yeah. I mean, and, and so I had like, there was a lot of things I had to work through and, um, you know, I remember being in college and feeling like, oh, I, you know, I've, I'm in this good place now. Like I feel confident and, you know, myself and, um, you know, I've had friends who've been like, honestly, I didn't even realize, you know, yeah. that your hand was the way it I was. I didn't notice know. it for like a year. Right. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I've had people do that. So I'm sure to some extent it's also like the self pressure I've put on oh, myself hundred percent. Um, but I remember, um, being, um, on a mission trip in Haiti with um centenary college that's where i went to college and um, we had to complete this like learning module where you go and visit another culture you just understand different things and so um we got to partner with um i believe it was some of the um, missions team through first methodist mm -hmm. um and so um we went down there and we were working with um, an existing organization that was already there and and um doing some learning and teaching from different orphanages. And I remember this moment where um, 
several kids like noticed my hand and then the next thing I know I had like 30 kids around me all looking at my hand and were like you know just curious obviously mm-hmm. which is you know there's nothing wrong with that obviously um but like I couldn't really communicate with them and so that was probably one of the biggest heightened moments of my life where I was like I just want to disappear in this moment yeah. like um everybody's looking at me and then I'm feeling this sense of like I've got to like I don't want people to think that this is affecting me so then I've got to like act like it's not because the like adults or people in our group are probably seeing this is going on um and so that was like a really a that was kind of it felt like oh we're, we haven't fully worked through that yet so we've got to do that now <laughs> yeah. that this has happened um and i've continued to do so and, of course you know, we have those moments that. right mm-hmm. all the time where yeah. we think we work through something fully and, mm-hmm. we, and then we have to check back in right yeah. yeah they're like let's just uh let's just amplify it times 10 and then see how you do with that <laughs> yeah so sure yeah that's awesome mm-hmm. so tell for those listening kind of tell us about um so that so it started as kind of a ground on the ground movement of just hanging out, people mm-hmm. being social, people who love Jesus going, Hey, we're gonna go out and help mm-hmm. people in poverty. Yeah. You know, you have this tie in from your own insecurities, your own stuff. The other thing I was gonna mention was as parents, if you're a parents a parent listening, it, it's such an important thing to remember that you can do all the right things. You can love mm-hmm. your kids with whatever their differences are. And obviously there's a better way to do it. And it right. sounds like your parents did a great job. Yeah. Um, but regardless Mm-hmm. We have to work those all, those things out ourselves. Yeah. You know, and that's something I think parents want the answer like, okay, I have a kid with a disability or anxiety or depression or, you know, ADHD. I need to do all these things so they turn out without any suffering, without any difficulty, without mm-hmm. any insecurity. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, if you look at the Garden of Eden, God did that for us. He provided a completely safe environment, loved us unconditionally, and we still had to figure it out on mm-hmm. our own. And yeah. so it's just a reminder at when you were saying, and I was like, well, for my own self as a parent, like mm-hmm. I can do the best I can and I can help my kids with their struggles and their issues, but they're still going to have to work it out with God and yeah. their own identity. And yeah, I mean, and that was without the internet or social media oh, or anything sure. like I cannot even imagine no. at, at, yeah. Yeah. That's a train wreck. Yeah. That's where we're at. That's right. A, yeah. And that's a whole other, <laughs> that's another podcast. Other podcast. <laughs> no, but it, it, or it four. yeah, it, but it, it's a good point. Um, so tell us kind of how it moved from street ministry, um, kind of to the love well. Mm-hmm. So, um, like you mentioned, it was very just grassroots and just showing up. And, um, I think part of the Cassie's heart was like recognizing that there were many, church members that she knew of that were wanting to connect with those experiencing homelessness um, and be able to provide and support through needs but didn't really know like a a way to do that Mm -hmm. Um, and so she was kind of an avenue of like hey I've met this individual they've got this need or are really looking for some sort of community or support I know you were wanting to provide that and then her like, you know, bringing the two together. Mm-hmm. And so just naturally over time, Cassie came to this realization of like, oh, like this is supposed to be more than just what it's been. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how it formulated into becoming a full nonprofit. Um, right. And then over the years, it's morphed into you know, us having our organization as the hub and then the two distinct programs, Purchase Not For Sale and The Love Well, yeah. underneath that and in each having their own set of staff, um, but all of us, you know, representing the hub 
um, as one is, is how that's worked out. Yeah. I know what, I guess me and you met, uh, this is the first time we met on the mission trip in new Orleans. That's the, like my earliest memory that I have. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. We we're just going door to door, passing yeah. out flyers for that mm-hmm. thing in the park. And then unless I was doing stuff, I must not have been doing stuff for the hub before then. That must have been, I must have connected after that. But regardless, like I remember going um, to the Fairmont apartment. Well, before the Fairmont, I remember going out to like street outreach and going mm-hmm. to the different apartments and in, in, in different parts of the city and passing out flyers and asking kind of people, what do you need? Mm-hmm. And then we went to the Fairmont and we're playing bingo down there yeah. in the bottom. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we do bingo and uh, meet with people and pray with people. And then that turned into going up into people's apartments mm-hmm. and sitting with them. And that was just... I was, it was a lot like you, like being a therapist, but also just my personality. That was just totally normal. You know, I was like, Oh, I just hang out. I mean, it got Mm -hmm. wild, but like, you know, like it does, (laughs) but it was like, this is totally normal. And then I remember Cassie starting to talk about like, Hey, the reason we're doing this because we're collecting information Mm -hmm. for this love well center that we're going to actually take that and give them what they need, you know, from their mouths Mm -hmm. versus what we think they need. Right, exactly. So can yeah. you talk a little bit about the Lovewell Center and how it's different from maybe other things that, you know, people provide for poverty, yeah. whether it's food or resources or whatever? Mm-hmm. So um, the Lovewell Center is a membership-based resource center for individuals that are experiencing homelessness and poverty. Um, so we see individuals that come through our doors that are living on the streets, um, that are maybe couch surfing, meaning they're living in, you know, one friend's home and then the next few nights they're at a family member and back to another friend or, you know, just kind of transient. Um, also individuals that are maybe staying in a shelter somewhere. Um, and then we also have individuals that come through that are um, living in low-income housing or working um, minimum wage jobs. Um, and so it functions very much like a resource and community center. Um, and so when individuals come to the Lovewell, they can sign up for a membership card. Um, and, you know, the hub's mission is give everyone in our city access to restored life. So even though we see populations, mainly of those that are homeless and in physical poverty, um, the love wall is open and available to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those individuals come through the doors and then they sign up for a free membership card. It looks just like a debit card with a strip um, on the back. And they sign up um, and are input into our computer system where we keep track of their points. So individuals receive this membership card with 20 points and they can use those points to spend in our clothing store, um, which is called the Dresswell. Um, clothing and hygiene, um, to do laundry, which is our smell well, um, and to shop in our food store called the Eat Well. We're, you know, very clever with those names. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so throughout the week, individuals have opportunities to attend classes um, that are specifically related to um, your relationship with God, yourself, others, and creation. Um, they can attend those classes as a way to just learn and engage, but also to earn more points. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have free meal events that happen throughout the week. Um, in our main space, we have computers and a TV and just a hangout um, spot for people. Um, and then we also provide um, 
individual assistance member care is what we call it um, where we meet one-on-one with someone and either offer them assistance that we can provide or we connect them to another organization Mm -hmm. Um, and so what's different about the love although one is that um, we are the only organization that um, individuals that aren't just homeless can come to throughout the week Um, There's a very big population of just poverty in Shreveport in general, like 25% of our city. And um, so there's a lot of like teetering on the brinks of homelessness for people. Mm -hmm. Um, And just also sometimes, you know, um, when an individual moves from homelessness into housing or has some sort of income, Um, the support or the resources they were able to um, access when they were homeless or just aren't available anymore for various reasons. Um, And so to be able to provide a place for people to come and, you know, their name is known. Um, We just have fun. We have parties and everybody loves Tuesday bingo. That's right. (laughs) Tuesday bingo. And and so it just is this um, idea of creating community for people where they may not have it otherwise. Um, And we have this earning-based model of our Lovewell points because um, we really um, just wanted individuals to know, like, in the midst of their situations, they still have worth and value, um, not for anything that they have or haven't done, um, but because they're made in the image of God. Um, and just providing some opportunities for ownership to say, like, even in the midst of your situations, like, you have the opportunity to decide how you want to spend your points, what you want to spend them on, the classes that you attend. Like, there is still a part that you can play mm-hmm. in your recovery and whatever that looks like. Yeah, um, I love that, you know, yeah. it's about autonomy and empowerment mm-hmm. and that people get to kind of use their points for what they need. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to earn them to use them. Right. You know, I think that's very different than a lot of systems. Yeah, and, and that's something, um, you know, we were really worried. Uh, I remember this very clearly. We were really worried when we came up with this concept. Um, like, are people going to... Um, are people going to respond to that? Like, are they going to be willing to, mm-hmm. you know, do the points? And it was interesting, though, because the thoughts first came after having a couple individuals, you know, over time be like, hey, I really need this thing. Like, if you let me do X, Y, or Z, then, like, could you get that for me? Like, almost like an exchange of, like, hey, I want to put forth something because I don't want it just for free. Yeah. And um, so incorporating that idea, you know, even after all this time, I think is – for those who haven't been around the love well, um, you know, maybe a volunteer or someone who just comes in for the first time as a member, it can feel a little like foreign. Like that's, you know, not usually yeah, what, what ends up happening. Right, yeah. right. And part of that is, you know, just trying to instill like that is real world. Um, and so we're bringing some of that into here. Now, obviously, if there is, um, a crisis situation and someone is in need of, of food or clothing yeah, yeah. and you know, they don't have any points. Like we're going to provide for that. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I've been there a yeah. hundred times when somebody walks in like, Hey, can I get a bottle of water? Can I have some coffee or can I have the, mm-hmm. you know, it, yeah. it's not that like, you know, right. Yeah. There's definitely grace in mm-hmm. it for sure. Um, and there's also hard love too. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah. It's, we've been working on the VIP stuff and like mm-hmm. coming up with boundaries. We can talk about that, but yeah. yeah, it's it's that weird balance in our culture of 
we have this welfare system in which people can just get what they want to and, mm-hmm. and we see the the problem with that, although we still love people and want them to be helped. And then you have this total, you know, other side where it's like everybody needs to work and earn it and they don't deserve it unless they do X, Y, and Z. Right. And I think y'all do a very, very amazing job of being in the middle of yeah. being like, okay, we're going to have grace and mercy, but we also have to do what's best for everybody in the mm-hmm. whole. Yeah. And if we let you take two cases of water and we have four cases of water mm-hmm. to be nice and to be like Jesus, then no one has any cases of water right. and then we're all suffering. Yeah. We're also like fighting against um, that scarcity mentality mm-hmm. um, and just that survival mindset that a lot of individuals that are experiencing homelessness and, and even physical poverty are facing where you're just thinking like, what can I what can I hoard or what can I get now um, that is going to tie me over because I'm not necessarily sure if or when I'm going to have this opportunity again, mm-hmm. which is very funny because a lot <laughs> of Americans experienced that this past year. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, even um, just trying to remind people like, hey, we're going to be here tomorrow. So, you know, it's okay for you to just get what you need today because mm-hmm. it will be available tomorrow. Um, and, you know, having the understanding, though, helps me to see, like, I'm, it's not just someone who's trying to take, take, take. It's like there is this neurological wiring that has happened that is causing their brain to go, like, I need this now. Mm-hmm. And part of that being because they, they may not know when they're going to have that opportunity again. Um and it's funny you mentioned like you know the welfare system and and this idea of people receiving you know government benefits and things like that you know um just like with anything we really only hear what's amplified mm-hmm. and that forms our thoughts and opinions about things um so most of the time you're only hearing about the negative side of the welfare program or people being able to receive food stamps or whatever that yeah, looks steak like steak and lobster with their louisiana yes, purchase card or exactly whatever. exactly um and you know so you're not going to see like how it actually is working for some individuals um but they're bad seeds and bad apples and everything in this mm-hmm. world you know yeah i mean i know you know, your point is, is that most people are not taking advantage of the system. Right. You know, and, and I remember having a client and when I was working in California and he was making like $900, you know, a month on SSI. Mm -hmm. And then he was getting a discount on his apartment. He was getting food stamps. He was doing all these things. And, and so as I'm working with him, he got a job at Dillard's Mm -hmm. and he was going to be making like $1,500. Yeah. But then he lost all of that if he took the job. Mm-hmm. And so, and then he, I think he had two kids and he was going to have to put them in daycare to work 40 hours a week at Dillard's or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, he didn't take the job because none of it made any sense. Yeah. And the idea that like people out there, they would just take the job, mm-hmm. you know, for the greater good or whatever mentality they have, like mm-hmm. it's insanity. Like, no, you right. wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's such a huge part of, um, you know, understanding or taking the time to understand and think through someone else's perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm viewing everything through my middle class lens because that's how I've grown up, you know. Um, but for someone who's grown up in a different with a different lens, doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. It just means it's different. Yeah. Um, and so taking the time to think through that because, in, you know, 
the job at Dillard's, like, yeah, you're making a lot more money, but also, like, there's not the um, promise of stability mm-hmm. if you take the Dillard's job. Absolutely. You know? And you lose your discount on your housing. You lose your discount. You don't get your food stamps. Right. Like, so you actually don't make, um, like, right. even on paper, you yeah. make less money and you have to work 40 hours mm-hmm. a week. Yeah. Now, I do, like, so I do understand, like, why someone would take that, take, you know, take the government benefits or, you know, their housing discount. I think part of it is trying to help people realize like the importance of stewardship and work as well. Um, and so, you know, there's such gray in everything. Um, even though my personality is very black and white, um, (laughs) but you know, so it is a very individualized, you know, moment in this past year and a half worked really closely with an individual through the Lovewell VIP Club, um, which is a support network for individuals that have moved from homelessness to housing. Um, and we provide opportunities for community, accountability, growth, and friendship. Um, we meet every week on Thursdays, um, and individuals you know, work through different goals. Um, they take specific VIP Club classes. They have member perks. Um, and that's something, obviously, Clint, that you're really working with me on specifically um, fine-tuning some things um but there was an individual who has she's graduated vip club this past december um you know but she was one where when we first met her four plus years ago she came to the love wall after um having experienced um, a mental breakdown and you know was unable to work and was really just trying to pick up the pieces mm-hmm. Um, and she would come to the love well and she would stand at the front counter and that's literally as much as she would do. She would just stand there for maybe 10 to 20 minutes and then she would leave and go back to her apartment. And, um, you know, over time slowly saw her move, um, to the point where now she's sitting in the back of the love well, you know, which is not as close to the exit. And she would sit there, hang out for a little bit longer would start to have conversations with me and eventually got to the point where she wanted to apply for the VIP club. And so, you know, had her in the VIP club, she worked through, um, the first two of five phases, um, and then got to this point where, you know, it just wasn't, she wasn't ready for it yet. So she left and, you know, stopped being a part of the VIP club, would still come around the level every now and then. Um, but just kind of kept like talking with her, encouraging her, you know, letting it be her timing, not the timing that I felt was necessary, which is not always easy, but it's the way to do it. Um, and she eventually restarted the VIP club again. And we got to, we got through the phase that she had left, which was such a huge milestone and so cool to see for her. Um, and then get to this part in, um, the third phase where she, or excuse me, the fourth phase where you're really starting to look at the concept of creation and stewardship and the call that God has given us to own and manage. Um, and part of that being exploring the idea of work. Um, and maybe that looks like employment. Maybe that looks like going back to school or finding a place to volunteer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she had kind of expressed that she was interested in work, 
but she had spent a really long time working to get her disability. Um, I'm talking like went through like the appeals process and all of that stuff. And so it was a really big deal that she had it. And, you know, I asked her to just think about the idea. I didn't say like, let's pursue it. I'm just like, let's just think about it. And even that would like send her into a spiral because there's just so much unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, as we continued to move forward, just little by little, she kind of started to open up herself to the idea of that. And thankfully there is this program called Ticket to Work um, where individuals can apply to be a part of it. It is a government program where basically um, if someone has been receiving government assistance, they can become a part of this program to then apply to work. And it kind of just slowly weans some of that income they're receiving monthly from the government so it doesn't get taken at once. Right. And then if they lose that job, then um, it, it's an easier process for that income to be reinstated versus her having to completely reapply and then go, oh, well, we see that you've worked before, mm-hmm. so you don't need this. Um, and, you know, for her, stepping out into work was a really big leap of faith because of what she had experienced from her mental breakdown and and just some different variables that were part of that. Um, But she eventually got to the point where she wanted to apply for work and she went out and got a job and she's at this place now where she's working full time and she, you know, has moved herself out of her section eight housing, which is uh, eight eleven, which is for disability um, to have a place of her own. But I mean, that was a six-year process (laughs) wow it was six years yeah six years um and so you know so amazing to get to walk that journey with her and know that like that it wasn't my timing you know in in my head success was her finishing the program out the first time but that's not the plan that god had for her Mm -hmm. and um so it's just really neat to be able to experience that but but oftentimes people think you know like we just go out and get a job you know it's not that hard and I'm like if you knew all the extra variables you know I'm not saying like it's not important for me to have a job or work or whatever (laughs) but like you know it's not as easy as what you think well and that speaks to the culture that we're in right now and it's part of why we're doing this podcast today is for people who I mean I think people have great intentions and great hearts but they don't know anything yeah and so with bad information people don't do anything right? because they, you know, they don't understand they're not enabling or, you know, it's not as simple as just getting a job. And mm-hmm. and I think that that's the, the call of us as Christians. And like you do every day is you actually know these people, mm-hmm. you actually get involved in it, you see them. And so you have this understanding of the systems that other people don't. Yeah. And so, you know, part of, you know, the work that y'all do is always so incredible because you do get to, to model that and walk mm-hmm. through it. And, one of the things I love about doing stuff at the Lovewell and, you know, I've taught classes and come down there and served and, um, is man, the people are awesome. They are, you know, they're like my favorite people. Yeah. Like I would yeah. much rather hang out at the Lovewell with people consistently mm-hmm. than I would even some of my friends some days, mm-hmm. you know, or church especially. Yeah. Um, because you get to know people over seven, eight years and you get to see them, mm-hmm. you know, cause some of, a lot of people just come and hang out now Yeah. because they like it. Right. Exactly. People that have, you know, moved on um, from a from a time in their life where they, you know, 
quote unquote need the love well and mm-hmm. it's more of like they just want to be there and they've come back and volunteer or they have we've had people who've come and turned their love well membership card back into us and we're like i don't i don't need this anymore yeah. which is who like had, how, how many points did somebody have i can't remember didn't somebody have like 600 oh, po- like or six thousand oh, yeah. points we've got some like people who've got you know points that are going to last them a lifetime for (laughs) sure you know um but also just seeing it's interesting because my coworker joel and i were having this conversation recently we had a level member who he's older in age and he um was having some trouble breathing and just was like not able to catch his breath so we ended up calling emt just to come and check on him and seeing like the number of level members that rallied around to make sure that he was okay and then when it was known that like he was going to need to go to the hospital um it was like a no hesitation that one of our level members who drives was like i'm gonna go like i'm gonna be there and i was like that was so cool to see um someone respond that quickly but it was also even for me another reminder of like why why would I be surprised by that though yeah like why am I surprised by people being nice or like being human being human yeah, yeah but I think it's just because there's such this idea of like this is the box that individuals that are homeless are in and what they look like and and how they act or, or even individuals in poverty um you know physical poverty and so anything outside of that is like somehow this like revolutionary thing mm-hmm. but it's like no that's just how it's always been we just haven't chosen to see it in that way yeah for sure yeah like you said you see the outliers or the extremes right and that then defines the whole group mm-hmm. and we've always done that but we're i mean in 2021 as we sit we're worse and worse and worse at that mm-hmm. to say oh these are women or these are men or these are homosexuals or these are po- you know, people in poverty or these are whatever mm-hmm. and because you say you are that or you live in that world like this is you right and that yeah. means this or christian or non-christian or whatever mm-hmm. and i think you're right like that's the other thing i love about the love well is that we have these structures in the hub in general is we have these structures that are super important that we've defined to make sure that the majority of people are getting taken care of but then like we also take individual cases case by case and mm-hmm. you know that you have to make exceptions based on different right. people yeah like there are some love love well members that we know just n- are not in a space to be able to sit down in a class and earn points Mm -hmm. and so we get unique and we we create a different opportunity or you know in this last year you and i've worked really hard on a kind of like a course correction um and you know i really have wanted us to move away from this idea of someone never being able to come back to the love well again Mm -hmm. you know because we do have some interesting situations that happen there um and going you know it's not that we don't want you here it's that at this time you just do not have the ability to handle all that the love well has Mm -hmm. and so you know we still love you and we're still supporting you and we'll help you through whatever um we still consider you family but at this time you know it's best for you to work out some things and and us help you figure out working out those things and you take initiative and then we work on you know bringing you back in yeah and accessing the love wall at a greater level well it's so important i think that's the balance right is that you can love some you actually 
love someone more when you do that. Mm-hmm. When you hold them accountable, when you tell them you believe they can be better than what they're being, here yeah. are the resources in which to do that, or we're mm-hmm. not going to let you abuse or take advantage of the system. Right. Um, and I think sometimes people are like, well, that's unloving. And it's yeah. like, no, that's the definition of loving. Right. It is yeah. Unloving would be to let them self-destruct and be enabled and not grow and not take responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I but think, that's hard to do. And I know oh, for you, so, especially like your heart's uh, like as big as this yes. room. And it's like, uh, I'm, uh, again, it go, I think that if I'm going to therapize mm-hmm. a little bit, right, it goes back mm-hmm. to that. Oh man, I'm abandoning them. I'm making them feel yep. isolated. I'm yep. ostracizing them. And mm-hmm. we know the gospel says that we've been adopted and we've been taking in regardless of our, you know, hair loss or our hands mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, things that we have going on in our lives our sin, our brokenness. And the reality is, is like, it seems like when you're taking that stance, you're saying the opposite. Right. Yeah. But you're not just saying you can't come. Mm -hmm. You're saying you're choosing not to. Yeah. We want you here. We love you. Mm -hmm. And really that is also the gospel. Yeah. God is saying, I love you unconditionally. Uh, You know, I'm going to be here for you. I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to stop loving you. But if you're going to experience me fully, Mm -hmm. there's some things you're going to have to give up. Right. And some things you're going to have to adjust. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I think one of the hardest things to grapple with is the idea that there are just going to be some individuals that are never going to be able to move past or, you know, to move forward. Like, um, you know in the sense that it, I know that God can work miracles and in those situations would be miracle situations because, you know, you can offer all the support and you can offer the phone number or you can have an understanding of why maybe somebody's thought process is the way it is. And so you offer, offer the assistance in a way that is is actually going to set them up for success Mm -hmm. and that's still not enough enough yeah and that is really hard yeah for that's really hard i mean that's i think that's the crooks of what is hard for everybody doing anything when it comes to people Mm -hmm. with our kids with our spouses and relationships and friendships is when you when you offer all of yourself and all the things you can and it's said right and it's done right Mm-hmm. And the person still has free will, mm-hmm. which again, I think ties it beautifully back into yeah. the gospel narrative of like, you can be a safe. I mean, I learned that lesson. I probably said this on here before, but I'm a two wing three. And so like, I, I think, or I have thought in the past, if I just love people, if I'm consistent, if I, if I support people, if I make them feel good about themselves, they'll feel good about, about themselves and they'll do great things. Yeah. And it's like, that is not how it works. Yeah. You know? And, and I don't remember if it was my therapist or somebody who I was, you know, getting guidance from. But I was saying that like, and it it was a relationship situation and I was like, you know, I'm loving him. I'm being consistent. I'm going above and beyond. And he just keeps crapping on me essentially. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the guy, I think it was probably my therapist. He was like, well, how'd that work out for Jesus? Right. Cause in my head I was like, well, I'm being Christ-like and that should somehow motivate this person to feel loved Mm -hmm. and then be healthier. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, that, that sometimes can end up getting you killed. Right. Yeah. And I had this connection where I was like, oh, man, like I, my philosophy about this is, is all wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's so hard. It is. It's really hard. I think, too, it's like, you know, choosing that tough love means that we're going to have to feel some sort of tension within us that we don't want to experience. Yep. And so it's like easier to just give in or to avoid the conflict or to just, you know, 
um let people walk walk away with whatever yeah, they want exactly yeah yeah um but then they just keep doing it right yeah and in the end like like you're saying that's not loving for anyone in the picture you know that's me doing more harm and not you know trying to help someone reach their fullest potential of who god has created them to be yeah so um it's it's an everyday though kind oh, of yeah. like it's an everyday check in and, and reevaluate where, what I'm doing. Well, yeah. let's let's talk about poverty a little bit from a biblical perspective and then just a general. So mm-hmm. the people are listening, they're like, "Well, I hear all these things, but I don't even know what yeah. that means, right? I don't yeah. want to assume." So, what would you say is poverty? The definition of poverty for you, and then what's kind of the biblical mm-hmm. definition of poverty? So, in general, um, at least in the U.S. Um, poverty is often viewed through a, a sense of lacking. Um, and usually that's played out in your basic needs like food, water, and shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, very materialistic view, um, which is not wrong, um, but that's not the full capacity of it. Right. So that's why oftentimes I use the phrase physical poverty mm-hmm. um, because there is that side of it, um, but you know, the Bible shows us that poverty occurs through, um, like through oppression, um, which, you know, I think obviously one of the biggest stories from the Old Testament was the um, Israelites and um, them experiencing oppression through the hands of the Egyptians and um, them even leaving Egypt and, and wanting to go back after yeah. being in the wilderness <laughs> and, and experiencing that um, poverty mentality. Um you also see poverty occur through um, calamity or like um, just natural disasters. So very right. situational things, you know, um, COVID-19 is situational, house fire, domestic violence, this winter storm that we've just experienced. You know, I heard a story through another um, organization that we work closely with how someone was um, working and paying rent um, at um and I think it was an apartment or, or they were staying in a motel and um, because the banks were closed, they couldn't get to the bank to get their rent check um, to be able to pay oh, their wow. rent. And they got kicked out because they couldn't do that, but it was out of their hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another example, but uh, or type of poverty and, and how that can really occur. And then thirdly, the Bible talks about um, like personal moral failures, which I think is the one that everyone likes to assumes assume. is everybody's reason yes. for being poor. Yes. Yeah. And you know, it's what have you done that's caused you yeah. to be in poverty. And I think that that is definitely the definition that people um, like you're saying, assume and go to first um, when really a lot of times all three of those oppression, calamity, and personal moral failures are at work. Yeah. And so it's a lot more of a interwebbed um, kind of uh, explanation yeah. for sure. Yeah. It, I always think of the story of like, uh, you know, privilege, right? That's a, a, a hot word right now. <laughs> but the reality is, is that like when you, when like I get a flat tire mm-hmm. because of all these extra things that are going on in my life, it's not really that much of a consequence. It's right. more of an incon- inconvenient. Yes. But if I, and I'm working hard and doing all the right mm-hmm. things and balancing my checkbook, but somebody who's in poverty, they could be doing all the right things, mm-hmm. but that, that flat tire means a hundred more things than it does right. for me. Yeah. I mean, it could mean that either they have no support system at all. Um, 
And so there's not that person they can call on the fly to come and help fix their tire and get them back on the road in 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, It could also mean they don't have the ability to afford to call someone to like a tow truck or somebody to come and fix that. But it could also mean that maybe the support system that they do have, the majority of those individuals are also in lower income um, status brackets. And so they don't necessarily have the ability to, um, you know, provide the money that would be needed or the transportation to come and help you either. So, and obviously we're using these in very generalized terms, like that's not every individual situation that's in physical poverty, but yeah. Um, and that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like I'm view, I'm going to naturally view everything through a middle class lens. Yeah. Just do this. Yeah. Just and do how this. many people say that, right? right it's like, exactly. If they would just do this, all these other problems would go away. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, that's a completely different ball game when you're playing from another team. Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't, that metaphor was very interesting that yeah. I just used. It was okay. good though. Thanks. Appreciate it. I don't know where it came from. Playing, playing from another team. Yeah. There you go. All right. Uh, so, okay. So tell me, um, well, we talked about that a little bit, but like, so if the answer isn't everybody just had a moral failure, why is it that people end up in homelessness? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I'll um, never forget this cause I want to give a shout out to my father. So one of the things that I remember from him, we were, we were in Pineville at a red light. There's a homeless guy. And I said, I was like 12, and I said mm-hmm. some off-the-cuff comment about him. Mm-hmm. Maybe get a job, you know, probably something. And yeah. I remember him, like, telling me distinctly, you never know what this person went through. He mm-hmm. could have been a veteran, you know, and kind of laid this story out just at the red light that I never thought, and I never forgot that story. Mm-hmm. Um, but the average person, they assume a lot of things about why people end up homeless. So right. for you, who work with people every day, thousands of people come through the Love Well can you tell the average listener what, what the actual reality is? Yeah. Um, I think that for a lot of individual individuals, if I was going to kind of just sum it up, it would be that, um, they had one left turn or they had one incident that was, um, caused by someone else or something else, um, that, moved them into experiencing homelessness or poverty. Um, And, you know, to elaborate more on that, I mean that, you know, I think you can take an individual situation just like you can any other life and strip all of that back and go, what are the beliefs that I have about myself? Where have I experienced brokenness in my relationship either with God or myself or other people or creation? And those being kind of the frameworks of realizing, like, we all experience poverty to some degree, Mm -hmm. whether that's relationally, spiritually, um, economically, you know, um, and that really just kind of creating this avenue to understand, like, when I'm thinking about a person's situation and, and why they ended up where they did, You know, there was probably, yeah, there were probably some choices that they made that weren't healthy. Um, Maybe there was some addiction that was in play. Maybe they didn't have the support system to help them move forward as quickly as you and I would. Mm -hmm. Um, But also there are individuals who have their own story, who are not a statistic, who are not a stereotype, um, that are just trying to figure out life like everyone else. Yeah. Um, and they're not a villain. Um, and 
and you know they don't need to be viewed in that light either yeah i mean they don't need to be vilified so we feel better about ourselves exactly yeah Yeah. i think man i think we talked about this a hundred times but i think one of the best things people can do is assume the best right is to Mm -hmm. see a person with a sign and not assume he's just trying to get beer and he's just if he would just do x y and z but it's a wonder gracefully wow i mm-hmm. wonder what's going on with this person yeah i wonder what their story is mm-hmm. and you and i know when you sit down with them mm-hmm. and you hear their story you're like oh yeah i would totally have ended up in poverty as well right exactly like it's rare that somebody comes in mm-hmm. you know the love well and then we're like oh yeah you totally should have a job and be super successful mm-hmm. yeah it's funny because um you know our staff say all the time like if I had gone without food or proper sleep or interactions with someone over an extended period of time I don't necessarily know how I would respond either I, I can say how I would now but that's because yeah. I'm well fed I've had sleep you know I've had interactions with other people but um, I think to approach each person um, it's extremely important to view them with fresh eyes mm. and an open heart Um, and not go, oh, well, this sounds just like, you know, what such and such told me or their story from a few weeks ago. So I've already got that figured out and I already know exactly what I need to do to put them in their place because they're, you know, somehow horrible for being poor, being poor. Exactly. Well, again, I mean, it's almost, I mean, it is exactly like the story in Job, Mm -hmm. you know, where Job is being, you know, assaulted by all these things and the devil's going after him and the friends come and they're like, what did you do to get here? Like we said earlier, I think people's instinct to make it black and white and simple Mm -hmm. to avoid their own pain and their own confusion and their own really responsibility for it is to make it a moral failure and something you did and you deserve this. Right. So therefore like I have criticism and judgment for you. Yeah. I think, you know, if you're going to go even further beyond all of that too, it's like, you know, at the end of the day, like I shouldn't really have to have conversations like this where I'm talking about people that are homeless or people that are in physical poverty because, you know, if the world was perfect, Mm -hmm. you know, then we would all just view those individuals as like they're living their own life and they're figuring things out too. You know, like there are people who... Um, are in lower income brackets that know Jesus better than I do. Absolutely. You know, Who, that are people will school you yes, in some scripture. Um, yeah. that are much more fulfilled in their lives that, you know, um, and that's just, that is just where their income level lines up for their life, you yeah. know? Um, and I do think that there is, 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 you know, a poverty, a spirit of poverty that people can have, but, but that be more focused in like a scarcity mentality or viewing everything through the lens of, um, not really, um, wanting to pursue more or, or have bigger dreams. I personally don't think that that, you know, more or bigger dreams looks like every individual moving out of poverty. Um, into middle or upper class or the American dream. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think that goes back to yeah, like, please don't. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think again, what that goes back to is just like we view poverty and homelessness through such a negative lens that it's like, you've done something wrong. You're horrible. If you're having to work paycheck to paycheck, 
you know, you're less than if you're working a minimum wage job. And like, none of those things are true. Yeah. In order to be yeah. happy and in content and at peace, you have to get out of that yes, category. Exactly. And so, you know, it definitely is not, I'm not saying like I, you know, went downtown day one and I had all of yeah, these thoughts, sure. you know, yeah. it's definitely over the years and, and through a lot of different relationships. But I think, you know, instead of me going like, this is what you need to do and this is how you can move forward and this is what I think your life should look like. It's going, you know, it's asking questions like, what do you think your life is supposed yes, to look like? So Who good. has God called you to be? And how can I support you in that timeline that is probably going to take longer than a year? Um, and, yeah, absolutely. You know, that really just kind of being a huge part of the deconstructing those myths and misconceptions. Well, I think it's a good point to the, the other key point that I love about you and, and the staff is like, it's the relationship piece that makes everything work. Right. And that means it might take six years. Like you right. said about the lady earlier Yeah. and, and our system in America is not set up for that. Mm -mm. We want immediate gratification. We want a system that fixes and gets us from poverty to middle class Yeah. under uh, the idea that by getting to middle class or upper class, you'll be happy. Right. Exactly. And it's like, I sit with people every day who make a hundred thousand dollars to a million dollars to $5 million who are miserable yeah. human beings emotionally and spiritually. Right. Exactly. They're so impoverished. Mm -hmm. from their trauma and from their lack of knowledge and their shame. Mm -hmm. it, 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 I would rather, that's what I said earlier about hanging out with people to love. Well, you know what you're going to get too. Exactly. Like, you know you, where you stand with people. People are appreciative. People love you, but people also are confident in themselves and in mm -hmm. the Lord. And, and they could go home to a small apartment and end up serving way more people mm -hmm. on a weekly basis and loving on people than somebody who makes a million dollars a year. Yeah, yeah, it's funny you say that. Um, one of our um, Love Well members, she, who's also part of VIP Club, she um, and her son moved a couple months ago um, from the apartment they were in to a different one, and, and I was just talking to her about how she was feeling about that because she had been at that previous apartment mm -hmm. for quite a while, and. Um, she was like, you know, um, and this, these were both low income apartments and she was like, you know, um, I'm feeling okay about it. I think part of it is that, you know, there are a couple individuals that are, that live in my apartment complex that I really try to make an effort to take a meal to, or to visit with, or to bring together because they live alone. And, you know, it just was one of those moments where I was reminded, like, that is so much more of the gospel than you moving out of this low-income apartment into like one of the nicest in Shreveport you yep. know for you to then potentially be in your apartment and not interact with anyone like that doesn't mean that it's not it wouldn't you know be beneficial to have some nicer amenities probably yeah, but sure. like that's so much more of the gospel but we don't we sometimes and especially in American Christianity we view the gospel as like prosperity yes mm -hmm. and like we move to like a bigger and better and i'm not saying that safer safer yeah and i'm not saying the lord doesn't bless people with Absolutely. amazing things you know and i'm not saying it's horrible to be rich you know because we need people that are rich to help fund things that we do like this <laughs> so i'm not saying any of that but i just mean like you know i think when you have so many expectations on what someone's end goal or success looks like mm, you're just like so good. setting yourself up to either a not appreciate their journey or b think that you could have done it better or figured it out more and then that brings about that whole god complex that we can often have oh, over yeah. someone's life absolutely mm -hmm. what um 
um, we're covering a lot of it, but what are what are some specific maybe myth busters that you want to make sure that you leave here kind of telling people? Yeah. Um, I would say um, I would want I would want individuals to know that those that are homeless um, or in poverty are not un, are not unintelligent, mm-hmm. um, are not uncaring or don't want the best for themselves. Um, and that also aren't looking to harass other people, you know, um, I would also want individuals to know, like being able to expand my views and my perspective because I've spent time with someone else, um, that doesn't look like me and doesn't have the same, you know, economic status as I do, um, is, is so much more meaningful and that's really the only way through any subject doesn't have to be just related to poverty that you really will begin to see your ideas change Mm -hmm. or your opinions change um just how wrong you are yeah and just how wrong you are (laughs) exactly um so it's funny because um one time eric our previous director um he and i were having a conversation with one of our level members and this was after knowing him for a pretty long while and we asked him you know like what was your you know you're like what was your first impression of me like you know once you become good friends and you feel like you can ask that honestly Mm. and he was like you know honestly it wasn't about anything that you gave me or offered me it was the fact that you remembered my name Mm. and and like that didn't require anything from me other than you know remembering his name yeah that's so true i mean people again it's so easy and and even knowing it and you know we we said this before even knowing it like you said we can get caught up in that Mm -hmm. that uh barrier of like seeing a homeless person and thinking something negative but yeah so many times just saying like it's been really funny and i know you've had this experience but for me it's different because i don't work at the hub full time so people i mean in some ways they look at you and they're like oh well you do that so that's why you have this mentality but it's been crazy to be a therapist or a professional in the way that in in my role or whatever dressed like i'm dressed going downtown for what i could be a lawyer or anybody else Mm -hmm. and then i stop and see frank or somebody you know Mm -hmm. somebody from the lovewell and i'm like what's up how's it going you know see you wednesday and i'm with a group of people who would have never even saw that human being. Right. Yeah. And that's been such a weird, yeah, it's hard because it's like such a, you want to get, I got want to get really mad at friends, mm-hmm. but then also like I, I, I was that person yeah. before I did any of this. Yeah. That's one of the real, that's one of the like pillars that Cassie, our founder really, um, strives for all of us to understand, especially when it comes to introducing a volunteer or somebody to the level well new for the first time of like, we were all on whatever level someone comes in for the first time we were at that place ourselves yes um and so our job is to um, help support and lead someone through building their own relationships to then have their own opportunities for um their you know again opinions to be changed or viewpoints to be expanded yeah and i'm a point to that story of course is not the virtue signal for me right but to say but to say anybody can do it yeah right we're not special and unique to be Mm -hmm. in this in this situation we just have some information like we're talking about today Mm -hmm. that can allow people to step into it because i think people and we've talked to them a hundred times volunteers people have a misconception they don't know all this we're talking about and so they have fear Mm -hmm. about people about danger about you know what this is going to be like what it's going to take from them and 
me being able to walk around downtown and say hey to people and give people hugs and, and do those kind of things when I'm going somewhere, like there there's so much freedom in that. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's yeah. the best thing ever. But it's because I know this person's not trying to harm me. Right. They're not just here because of that reason. Some of them are like, well, I know he chooses to be there because here's his mission in life and this is what he's doing. And yeah. But the only reason we know that is because we've been in relationship with them. Right. And we've chosen... You have to be willing to choose the discomfort. Yeah, of like, it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable, but you have to be willing, like, you know, even for me, I still face this at times. Like, um, I just was talking to somebody else about this recently, but people, you know, just assume, like, oh, she's the one who knows all these people down here. So, you know, it's easy for her all the time. And it's still, you know, a learning process for me. But, um, you know, going back to the very beginning of like the panhandling, like, it's, for us, it's like we feel this initial sense of discomfort of like, oh, here's someone here that like, do I need to acknowledge them? Do I not? I don't really want to. But if I do, then they're probably going to ask me for money, you know, and I don't, or, have, or, time or, I don't have time for this or I don't know what they're going to ask me. And, you know, just it's all a sense of wanting to have control. Mm-hmm. And so being willing to give into that moment and just go, you know what, I'm just going to offer a smile and a hello. And if they ask me for something, then I'm just going to trust, you know, obviously if you're a Christian to just trust that the Holy spirit is going to lead to what I need to do in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the same for every other situation. When we have people come down to the level or when I'm meeting someone new for the first time, you know, no one teaches you how to have, friends right or like no one teaches you how to interact or have emotions like that's not a subject in school right um which i wish it was because mm. that would be nice i'm working on yeah, it yeah you're working on it <laughs> um and so i think you know in general settings we meet someone and we're either getting to know them because of a shared interest or a hobby or we're at the same church or we've been in school and so there's just an easier avenue so then if when you're in a different setting that looks completely opposite of yours it's easy to feel like well there has to be no common ground because there's nothing for me to initially work off of but it but if you think about it you know we all experience insecurities we all experience moments of doubt of wanting to be seen and heard and known and so those are the things if you're willing to lean into that and the discomfort and just start with like hey my name is sarah are you from Shreveport, you know, and just start with that. Um, then that oftentimes changes the game for sure. Cause, cause people know, um, our love wall members, those that are experiencing homelessness, probably like they know how society views them. Mm -hmm. They know. Um, and so when someone is willing to help them to have a moment where they go, well, maybe society in general, but I know this person doesn't view me that way. Like that's a huge a huge difference absolutely yeah i mean they we forget that they spend their whole life people not looking at them people mm-hmm. turning their eye people not making eye contact people not saying hey yeah so yeah i mean yeah again there's that misconception oh they make they probably make a hundred dollars a day you know just standing outside target mm-hmm. it's like okay that's not what happens right. but yeah yeah it's it's tough man yeah. I, I think that's some of the barriers that you know when we talk about why don't people come and volunteer who are Christians. So can we talk about that a little bit? What do yeah. you, what do you think some of the barriers to maybe the church coming and helping or people coming to helping are when it comes to serving poverty, being, being at the love well? Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably one of the biggest things that all of us fight is busyness um, and deciding what is more important than something else. Um, 
And so, you know, it does take time and effort to be willing to, you know, go somewhere or to commit to building a relationship with someone that may take four or five years to, you know, see fruit. See fruit. But it also being a sense of like, it should be fruit on both sides. It's not supposed to be a one-sided um, interaction. That's good. Um, and yeah, you're so, not bringing everything to them. No, you're not bringing everything to them. I guarantee you they know a lot more than you think they do. <laughs> um, and that's part of it as well as like, you know, we've really tried over the last few years to kind of um, do away and and blur the lines of this like volunteer love wall member mentality because in some ways that still separates the two of us yep. instead of you know going like all of us experience brokenness all of us experience poverty maybe not physically um but we all experience that emotional spiritual relational poverty that we're all working towards growing and becoming more like who god called us to be and so I'm going just with my hands open, not with them full to try to put into someone else what I think that they need to know. Um, so again, I think, um, you know, that's a, a little bit of a side tangent, but that is part of the, the framework that is helpful for people to have before they show up. Um, you know, even at our Tuesday night community meal, unfortunately, we've had to change some things because of covid but like in general we've moved to like this is not necessarily an event that people are coming to this is just an opportunity for all of us to sit mm -hmm. down and eat together um yeah because what we've realized i think is that we would rather have consistent people who show up and few right than 1500 churches that come in for a weekend yeah. and leave and don't come back right and not it, that those aren't helpful right exactly i'm like and it's it's not that you know we're we're so super appreciative of of anyone who wants to give and help and whatever i think it's you know just knowing that that means you may have to do it a little bit differently than how you envisioned it to be um especially if it doesn't align you know with with our vision or our mission or things like that so um i think that that is busyness again is one of the the biggest hindrances and just recognizing like you know, what am I putting my time and attention to? Um, and are all of these things that I'm doing, you know, as, as much of a huge advocate as I am for the church um, and the church building, um, sometimes life is spent inside the church building more than it is, um, outs you know, outside of those four walls. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, obviously each individual has to decide for themselves what that looks like. But the hope is that you just begin to bring someone into relationship in your life and they become a part of, of, of your community, you become a part of their community, and it not feel like this mission trip that you're doing, yeah. you know. Um, and so people um, just having the opportunity to just make a time, just make the time and don't come in with any expectations, just come in with an open heart and open hands and... Um, know that it is it is going to be uncomfortable at first, possibly, but that's not because of of the individual. That's just because it's just awkward to get to know someone new for the first time, anyway. Absolutely. And just general, you know, circumstances. Yeah, I think again, you have to remember they're human beings, and they're coming to the table with all their insecurities and all mm -hmm. their worries and all their things as much as you are. Right. And I think if we show up like, hey, we're gonna just be in relationship and learn from one another, it goes a long way. I mean, I know. Mm -hmm. 
man, I've learned so much, you know, teaching classes, being up there and just being in relationship with people over the years. And, uh, and some got really close for several years and, you know, hung out with and had coffee with and would pick up and bring and help mm-hmm. get on meds and, you know, all the things. And man, those relationships, you know, I still cherish and, mm-hmm. you know, still reach out to some people who have moved and, um, and you can't, you can't understand how much that gives to you. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, when Luke and I got married, there were a couple individuals, um, that I had, you know, gotten to know through the love well, but, you know, are kind of, I call them like the OGs, like the people that I've known since day one, Mm -hmm. that like, there was no hesitation that I was inviting them or that we were inviting them to our wedding. Um, but it not being like a, Oh, look at this. Yeah, look at what we're look doing. Look at what we're doing. Yeah. No, it was just like that was it. And like, you know, you obviously know that Luke and I are in the process of adoption. And um, I've already, you know, just kind of dreamed like, oh, you know, if and when we have a baby shower, like, you know, if we can have like a, a standard shower, depending upon where we're at and COVID. Well, hey, Texas you know, just really let all the, uh, uh, <laughs> the walls yeah, down in Mississippi, that. apparently. I saw that. Um, you know, like who would, who would I want to invite? And yeah. like, you know, there were several individuals that I know from the level that like, I definitely want them to be there. And that's not for any other reason than I have relationship with them and they have relationship with me. And it's important for us to be able to experience that new thing together. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Um, Let's, you know, I know that one of the books you read, you love and recommend is When Helping Hurts, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, How does the church sometimes do more harm than good, even well-intentioned, right? Um, When helping people in poverty or homelessness. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is this really big concept that um, When Helping Hurts talks about, which is a really good book. Um, It's called When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting I think it's the poor in yourself or either yourself and the poor. I can't remember the order. Um, and they do really bring about that concept of poverty being not just um, related to a lack of physical things, but experiencing brokenness in your relationship with God, self, others, and creation. Um, and so that means like if you're a workaholic and you put your job and making money as more of a priority than your family or your spiritual health, that is just as much poverty as it is Mm. not working or not having any drive or desire to be a steward. We got Um, a lot of that. Yeah. (laughs) So like, and then, 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 cause then that's where you go like, Oh, so like maybe my poverty looks a little different, but like I am experiencing that too. So there's this even level playing field that happens. So it's like, we're all figuring it out and striving um, you know, together to become more of who God created us to be. Um, so that is a big part. Um, that is one of the, that book is such a foundational one. Um, it really, I felt like put words to things that we had kind of already been circulating in our culture, but didn't really have a full way of how we wanted to explain that. Um, but the other, other part of that book talks through this idea of, um, you know, poverty alleviation through kind of three steps the first is relief the second is rehabilitation and then development and relief um, which is the first stage is the one that that a lot of times um, we in America and and sometimes even the church gets stuck on um, and that is kind of kind of trying to cover a plug or cover a band-aid 
in a crisis situation yeah. um, and, and that being the only model that's used for the long term. Now, obviously, there are moments where, like, for example, we had this winter storm that just happened and there were people that were out without water. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that you then need to be charging all these people to pay for the water. Like, giving the water away for free was, like, very vital and essential. Yeah. Um, and we had a lot of churches who got behind yes, that and gave yes, away thousands of was, things of water, which is amazing. Right. So amazing. Um, but if you're specifically looking at, like, if I'm going to go and invest and try to um, just support someone out of homelessness, um, that's why we don't have the, the free handout model. Mm-hmm. Um, and see, again, it's just like, I, you know, there are moments where we do have a free meal that's just you know to spark community so it's not saying that's wrong but like for long-term change you have to be willing to move into okay you know a lot of relief is based on uh, what can i do or how am i gonna impart my knowledge into your culture your circumstance or your situation Mm -hmm. versus that rehabilitation going like what do you think that your situation needs to look like or how do you want to move forward what skills and assets do you already have versus you know just looking every at everything through a sense of lacking um and really rehabilitation being more of this concept of um empowering and supporting someone to you know be able to move into that new goal or dream or past their situation but it it being one where if you were to walk away, then they aren't left high and dry to figure it out or yeah. scrambling because you've equipped them and you've supported them through their own point of view and perspective and understanding in a way that it makes sense to them. And then that develop is, development is moving forward in a way where they're now able to replicate and duplicate back into their communities that make sense for them. Yeah. Um, so even things as simple as like, you know, if you are going to um, another country or you're going to where there's a crisis, like, you know, maybe instead of you gathering all the supplies in your city and going down to wherever that crisis is or going to that country and bringing it you work with the employers or the businesses that are already there you bring the money so that you invest into that community and you've got people who already understand that culture who already understand that community and you allow them to use their resources and their knowledge to then build up in a way that makes sense for them so then when you leave it's not like all of a sudden you know again that people are left high and dry yeah there's a Um, vacuum yeah exactly um and so and we see this when i mean david platt other great missionary type people have this mentality and are trying to teach the church this as well and some people do it really good and some mm -hmm. people don't but you know i think somebody said the uh the difference between like an evangelical trip and a mission trip right Mm -hmm. Uh, evangelical trip is going to mexico where there's already churches, there's already Christians, there's already people, and you go and help somebody who's impoverished, and that's a great thing. Right. But if you don't go and empower the Christians in that community to mm-hmm. raise a church on their own, mm-hmm. and then them become missionaries, right, to right. other places. I mean, that's the incredible thing about, like, China is like China. If you're a Christian in China, they're coming to America. They're going right. to, you know, they're going to Indonesia. They're going to, you know, Australia. 
and we don't think about that mm-hmm. like that as an American yeah. Christian sometimes. We think right. we're going as American church to bring the gospel to the nations. Right. And it's like, no, they like yeah. their goal is to build that up within themselves. And mm-hmm. I think that's what you're saying about poverty. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a little bit of a side note, but but Luke and I were just having a conversation the other day about just you know, um, these underground churches and in, in other parts of the world. And like, you know, to us, we in the American church may view that as like, that's not it, you know, mm-hmm. in the sense of like, if it's not this massive building where you've got all these extra things going and all these freedoms, and all these freedoms, then, then that's not the gospel or yeah. that's not really the church moving. And, um, you know, sometimes that being actually that's the exact opposite of, of what the gospel really is. But um, so I think some of that is all tied into just this idea of like we would just want to pump a bunch of relief into a moment that may not necessarily need relief anymore. Yeah, we've seen those videos of like people sending clothes over right. or different resources over. And then after it's over, there's these piles and piles right. of garbage yeah. that now the people have to get rid of because nobody fits it or it doesn't work for their culture or they're not mm-hmm. going to wear it or they're not going to use it. And, right. And it just it makes them even more of a mess. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, I think it's so important to recognize, though, that the gospel is both um, the, the mission, social justice, which I know is a, a weighty word sometimes mm-hmm. in, in the Christian church, but, um, the social justice and the spreading the news of who Jesus is, like, it's all of that. It's yeah. not one or the other, but I think sometimes the way you do that is, is going like, Hey, you know, I'm going to go take this bag of goodies, um, to this um, apartment complex and just, you know, visit with some folks and let them know, like, hey, if you're in need of any resources, this is what's available. Um, offer prayer or, you know, how can I, how can we, you know, just support you? But then also, like, giving some sort of next step mm-hmm. um, because, you know, that individual may close the door and be in, like, an abusive situation and, like, it's not it's not probably going to do anything if we just like show up and give that free bag. Like that's not really going to mean anything in that moment, you know, for the long term. it may be a bright spot in their day in that moment. And again, I'm not saying don't Don't not do that. Yeah. Yeah, You have to preface everything. Like I'm not saying, you know, but, um, I think that you just, you have to be willing to think through like the long term for a situation and go like what is going to be most beneficial for this person or this community that maybe takes me out of the equation fully but is supporting and empowering them to move forward or you know to meet their goals or whatever that looks like yeah for sure i mean taking us out of the equation i was always a uh, mm-hmm. a pro in these situations mm-hmm. what uh, tell me what kind of you, you guys are, we talked about, we touched on the VIP program for a second, but, mm-hmm. and I'll just cover it real quick. But, you know, one of the things that I think you saw and Cassie saw, and most of us that are on staff saw was that, you know, we were helping really well. We were doing really well, but there were individuals within the program who really needed some extra things. So mm-hmm. talk about the VIP program for just a second and yeah. what that offers people. And- yeah. So, um, the VIP club was, um, birthed out of this um, just realization between myself um, and Cassie and, and our former director, Eric, of recognizing that 
oftentimes once an individual moves out of homelessness into stable housing, um, whether that be you know through a housing voucher or they've got some sort of government assistance that's covering their rent or maybe they even you know now have a job um, that's supplying the rent payment for that that um, oftentimes they move into those apartments and there's just kind of this like what now Um, you know we've known individuals that have been homeless for years finally get an apartment and will pitch a tent that they were sleeping in outside in the apartment because that's more comfortable to them. Like it's like this foreign, you know, thing for them to all of a sudden have a bed, a bed and yep. four walls. And, um, you know, even over the winter shelter, granted, she said it was kind of making her back hurt, but like one of our level members, um, she decided to sleep on the hard floor versus the cot because that just kind of made more sense to her. Um, and so we were just recognizing that sometimes those supportive services are no longer available, whether that's just through funding or just particular agencies just aren't able to assist anymore. Um, and also sometimes people's community changes. Like if, if you've built a community downtown or, or in wherever you've been living and then all of a sudden you're living across town and you're just kind of, you know, in this place of like, I don't know who my people are or I can't mm-hmm. see those that I was with before. Um, And so we really wanted to help individuals who really wanted to just be able to assess, you know, how has living in physical poverty or homelessness affected me spiritually, emotionally, neurologically? um, How has it really caused me trauma? um, And be able to kind of deconstruct all of that and process that and then move forward into thinking about, okay, how do I now rebuild and, and move forward? And and to the goals and dreams that I have. Um, And they do that all within the context of community um, through the Love Well. So we have, right now we have around 12 individuals um, that are part of the VIP club and they're all at various phases from one to to five. Um, And they have made that commitment themselves to show up on Thursdays. And um, like I said earlier, they have certain classes that are based on phases that are exploring their relationship with God or themselves or other people. Um, They're also kind of just working on some goals that they have that they want to see as they just rebuild new healthy habits um, or continue healthy habits that they already had. Um, And then also just decide, like, after I exit out of VIP, like, what do I want to be doing or or Mm -hmm. where do do I want to be going with my life? And so it just allows people the ability, again, to process what they've experienced, but also to just find community. Um, We have fun together. Um, We you know, on some Thursdays go, um, we call it fifth Thursday fun day. Um, you know, just having a little fun there. Um, and we, you know, go to the movies or we go get ice cream or or we go, um, to play putt putt, you know, just to build and just have fun together and, and help individuals see other parts of the city that they may not have ever had the chance to before just mm-hmm. because of their circumstances um and so i mean it it can be messy at times but as is everything else in life if you're really like digging deep and working hard um and it's just been really cool to see people um you know all we did was 
you know, offer this opportunity, they chose it, um, and, and they've taken advantage of it and, and they do have their own member perks yeah. that are specific, um, to VIP club that those that are in general level membership don't have. So they do have access to a monthly bus pass, or if they're, um, driving, we compensate that with some gas money. Um, they also have, um, a grocery stipend, um, and then they have access to certain just resource assistance that may not be available otherwise. Um, but we still have the point system in place. So, you know, you still have to earn the points in order to have the ability to get that grocery card or to get mm -hmm. that bus pass. It's just that, you know, others outside of VIP just don't have all of that access. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been really cool. Again, um, you know, I've mentioned an individual who's graduated and, and seeing her work and, um, you know, knowing like I just got a backseat to all of that. It's yeah. just super cool. Um, we have another VIP member that graduated. She's currently a full-time student in um, culinary arts. And, and I can't even tell you the number of times that she said to me, like, it's just so fulfilling and moving to be able to be here now and to give back because she volunteers all the time um and know that like you know i'm now getting to 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 give back in ways that i i couldn't before because i was needing the assistance myself absolutely um and so yeah it's just one big uh one big happy little family well, down there it really is yeah i mean and just like a family there's conflict and there's chaos yes. i mean i know you had a lot of stuff you know over the shelter that was chaotic and yeah we had some very sad situations and mm -hmm. you know so let's talk about that a little bit uh i think one of the things that's hard about doing what we do and, and you and i talked about this last week and have talked about it before but kind of putting the genie back in the bottle mm -hmm. and so when this is the cost of doing the work, right? Is that being a therapist, working at the Lovewell, working with Purchased, learning what we learn, we can't unknow it. Right. And so can you talk a little bit about like what that's like for you and, and your heart? And oh man, that is quite the, quite the topic. Yes. Um, so I think it's like, I wouldn't change for anything. Um, the exposure or experience or just the understanding of brokenness that I've come to learn over the years. Um, but there is this constant reality of knowing, um, like, like you said, you can't unknow what you already know. So, um, the experience that we had over, the winter shelter, um, where, you know, we found out that one of our loved one members had passed away. It was, was, and is still so devastating because, you know, our, our staff member, Joel, like, I can't even tell you the number of people that he helped transport to other shelters once we got full or, or hotels and the number of times we went looking to make sure everybody had been accounted for and brought in. And so you think like you've, you think you've got everybody and, you know, then to find out that that wasn't the case, mm -hmm. um, was super devastating. Um, also because it was like at the end of a really long day, it was a good day, but a really hard day. Um, and so, um, yeah, that, that was, you know, just knowing that, um, there is, there is no real way to, mask um the realities of the brokenness in our world mm -hmm. but i think um being able to learn like 
at the end of the day though I because of my relationship with Jesus and knowing who God is like that's where I just have to give all of that to him and trust that like he sees every individual more than I'm ever capable of doing yeah. um, and also that he wants and desires for them more than I ever could. Um, there are literally some days where I'll leave and, you know, oftentimes there is no resolve for someone. It's not like, you know, you get to the love well and you start with someone and you're assisting them or you hear a story of brokenness. like, And it's like it's an open wound that just gets left open. Yep. And so I'll have to literally just be like, okay, God, I'm just giving this to you because I literally cannot... Um, if I don't, then I'm not going to be able to function basically. Yeah, for sure. Um, and also understanding like it's not easy, but when I go home, like Luke and, and the family that we've created deserves just as much attention in that moment as do the Lovewell members when I'm at the Lovewell or the, the community or the family or when I'm at church. Now, that may mean I'll, you know, <laughs> cry or break down, you know, like... Um, I had this instance at church recently, and, and I don't know if I'll end up listening to this podcast, but um, I had this incident recently where we had had a separate level member pass away, and um, he didn't have any family that claimed him, and so um, we worked it out with another organization to um, be able to provide a um, little like celebration of life and funeral for him. Um, through um, working with Hope House and through the um, Holy Cross Church that there. They have an amazing little garden for people that they can be buried if, if they don't have any family um, accounted for. But we um, had to pick up his ashes, and we were storing them in the attic of the Love Well until we were able to have the funeral. And, and I remember getting to the Love Well that day and, and Nathan being like, you know, you know, this is this is this individual's ashes here and and because of what we had going on during that day I was like okay you know that's just kind of like I'm just gonna pin that right, I'm just gonna <laughs> pin that right there and like it didn't really didn't really register when a whole day it was again it was it was a long day but there's just a lot of stuff that happened um on Thursdays and, and then we um were at church that night for our young adult service and and our pastor said something um towards the end of the of the message and and the band like had come back up and he said something that just somehow set off for me like that realization that was just so heartbreaking to me and I just could not stop crying and um you know afterwards he was like hey you know you doing okay it was just so kind of him to come and ask that um I'm like you know we just had this person's like ashes like, you know like I can't even get the full concept yeah. so it sounds so bizarre but um you know those are just sometimes where you have to give yourself grace to know that it's okay to um ex- to to feel the weight of that mm. brokenness but to not sit in it because there is still so much hope yeah um there still is so much goodness in the world and grace and mercy and um for every really hard situation there's hundreds of really good ones um that you get to see people's lives changed and um restored and and you know all that stuff yeah I mean, you really do get to see the work of Christ in a way that 
people don't get to see it. And I know people have asked you this and people are, how mm-hmm. do you do that all day? Or how do you, you know, and it's like, well, we can't and right. we don't, right? The Holy Spirit is working in us. We're broken. Mm-hmm. We're learning. I mean, we're getting better at what we do through, through God and through our work together and through community. But also, I challenge people who are listening, you know, to find a place to plug in because you're missing out. Yeah. Yeah, you're choosing some stuff. Mm-hmm. You're going to choose to be uncomfortable. You're going to choose pain. You're going to choose suffering. But like Paul talks about, you don't get the resurrection without the suffering. Right. And I think in America, we're so geared to being comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that comfort and that the peace of God is comfort. You know, that the peace yeah. of God that surpasses all understanding mm-hmm. is comfort. And it's like, no, it's not. It's more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. It surpasses all understanding because you can be at peace and be in the midst of a storm. You can be in pain. You can be in suffering. But yeah, like we talked about the other mm-hmm. day, it's such a balance because you know how bad things are. Yeah. There's a snowstorm coming or weather. And the first mm-hmm. thing you're thinking is about, you know, John or Shelly or whoever mm-hmm. is, you know, down there. And I'm making up names. But, you know, you have specific people. Yeah. It's the same where when I hear about uh, a pastor falling or a, some kind of mental health situation, mm-hmm. you know, or somebody having an affair. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day and, and they're going through some stuff. And, and they were saying, yeah, nobody knows. But what, I, like, I don't talk about it because when I'm in small group people's responses to affairs let mm-hmm. me know I can't be honest yeah you know and it's like that with poverty mm-hmm. so if you're out there and you're walking around and you're seeing a homeless person how you respond mm-hmm. and what you learn from this podcast or any other books that you can read it it has a missional quality because mm-hmm. you, even if you don't come to the level tomorrow you don't go some, serve someone the first step you can do is is learn and start treating people differently right because people are watching you yeah that yeah they are for sure I mean you know, there, going back to the winter shelter, there was an individual that um, did not come to the shelter that I was pretty sure she did not make it to any other shelter. And she lives um, out of downtown further away, and I just had not been able to communicate with her. Um, and so, you know, while we've got this amazing opportunity to house all these individuals in the love well in the very back of my mind I'm thinking like where is this person Mm -hmm. and you know I still haven't seen her yet now I did have someone today yeah as of today I haven't seen her yet um and I'm like vaguely familiar with where she stays and and Luke and I even went and looked for her the other day um with no luck but like you know it's still like it's attention. It's yeah. attention, yeah. And and I did have someone um, mention to me that that they were like almost one hundred percent positive they saw her riding her bike um, the other day. Um, but it's still like until my eyes like Absolutely, see her, yeah. um, and so it's a piece of your heart, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's is. also the cost is like you don't get to be completely at peace, quote unquote. Right. It's the same individual that her and I ran into each other in Kroger. And just had a, a really good conversation. She was shopping. I was shopping. Finished. And then she comes to the Love Well the next week and was like, hey, I got these coupons from Kroger. I don't really think I'm going to use them, so I wanted to give them to you. Mm. Like, you know, just that's just it, such a cliche word, but like living life. But like yeah. that's just what it is. It's just um, choosing to have relationship with people who look different from you or, or who have different backgrounds and but knowing that at the core of it all of you experience the same emotions and thoughts and feelings and want to be loved and to be known and valued absolutely mm-hmm. 
This has been awesome. What uh, closing kind of thoughts, comments do you have, things that you would like anybody to know? Yeah. Um, I We kind of have these three words um, or three phrases that um, our level team tries really hard to just take note of every day and that's um, and it's kind of one that I adopted myself first and and wanted to share with the team but it's um, to listen well and to notice others and to be present Um, and you know that stands for anyone no matter if you're homeless or if you're in poverty Um, but just the importance of like um, being instead of doing Mm -hmm. and knowing that um Shout out John Mark Comer. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and so just, you know, this concept of like life is so much more meaningful and worth it when you're willing to pay attention to other people or to notice someone who's um, not at the center of attention or to check in on people, to be present and um, not thinking about what's coming next. Um, and so, you know, I use all of that to say like no matter who you come in contact with throughout the day, that just being so vital for anyone in every situation. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. I'm so proud of you, Sarah. You do such an amazing job. You know, it's a, like I tell you, you're one of my favorite people on the planet. And, uh, and you know, I get to, I've gotten to see you grow in leadership as a person, as a wife, and now hopefully soon as a, mm-hmm. as a mom. Yeah. And, you know, I'm honored for you to do this with me and to talk about these things. Um, if you're out there and you don't, you know, you've heard this and, and the Holy Spirit's stirring in your heart to do more, you know, reach out to Sarah at the Lovewell, um, reach out to us at the hub. There's plenty of events that you can check out online that you can get plugged into. If you're not in this city and this is something that resonates with you, um, you know, there are resources we can give you to start one in your city. There are things we can do to help, um, books, we can resources, all kinds of things. So please reach out. Um, I'll say this cause you won't, but if you have money and you want to give it the hub, you know, can always use that money. You know, the things mm-hmm. we talk about with mission, you know, pray, pay or go. Mm-hmm. And so you can do one of those three things. You can, if you, if you're not in a, a, a place where you can, you know, go everywhere. Like for me, life has changed having kids and, you know, I can't always go to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of our practice, I can, I can pay a little bit more and I can pray for sure. Right. Um, and then hopefully there's other seasons where I can go back and do more things. And, and so try not to judge yourself for where you're at, but do something. Yeah. And I think that would be the, the biggest thing that I would tell everybody to do. So, you know, if you need something and you're out there and you are in poverty and you're listening to this podcast, you know, find a resource, find a place in your town, find a place um, around you where people are trustworthy and who can see you for who you are because you're not alone. And you are loved and you are valued and what you bring to the table is enough mm-hmm. that you, the only thing you have to do to have value in God's eyes is breathe and be alive. Yeah. And so if you're out there and you're listening to this and you've struggled with poverty, um, know that there are people like Sarah and mm-hmm. like our staff. And, and I'll say this for you, you know, there's an incredible staff at the Lovewell who does amazing things. And, uh, every one of them has a heart and to see you guys over this last couple of weeks with, you know, no water and no you know, no, no place to be, no place to go, icy roads. And yeah, all of you guys stepped up in such an incredible way, um, to help people that were in need. And it was really just the body of Christ in the hands and feet of Christ. So mm-hmm. proud of y'all. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Uh, that's episode 21. Um, subscribe on YouTube, um, do all the things you know how to do. Um, give us a review on iTunes. If you want share this podcast. Um, yeah. Love you guys. God bless you and have a good day.